Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm with Jamie Araujo, who is a partner in Ashendo Cellars. She's also the proprietor of Tuan Noir. <laughs> exactly. Which is a tongue teaser. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, it's a great pleasure to be with you today. Oh, the pleasure's mine. Thank you so much. You have such an amazing life story. <laughs> So I actually am not sure where I want to start <laughs> because it's so interesting. What was your first full-time job? Professional first job. full-time professional job would have been working as an actor in London. Yeah. And how did you get into that? <laughs> it was something I'd always wanted to do, um, and I had ended up in the U.K., um, after doing my master's degree, um, decided not to go into academia and um, figured I'd leave it up to the universe. So I applied to drama school over there, uh, about four or five of them, and I got into two, um, chose the one I really liked, and yeah, ended up uh, doing my postgraduate degree in acting and then being an actor in London for, for seven years. Um, so why would you ever leave that? That sounds like <laughs> a dream. It was honestly, um, it was, it was something I really enjoyed. I mean, the work was so incredibly professionally and artistically, um, challenging and enjoyable. And the biggest problem that I started to find was as I got more success and was, you know, up for bigger and bigger parts and, and more interesting jobs, let's just say the auditions got sketchier and sketchier oh. and this was long before <clears throat> excuse me long before me too and all of that sort of thing um and thankfully I just I I'm really proud of the young woman I was um that I really that I realized that I wasn't interested in doing that for the rest of my life uh so I started looking around for something else to do that would be as rewarding on both uh, an intellectual and an artistic um sort of aspect and uh wine really is what came floating to the surface you go from acting to wine <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is it's really uh of all the academic and work qualifications that i have and have have done over the years I would say that for what I do today, my acting degree is probably the most useful thing I ever did uh, because there's just so much forward-facing, consumer-facing, distributor-facing, human-facing work within the wine industry, particularly in the roles that I occupy. So actually, it's a, it, was, it was kind of a genius move, even though I didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> so explain. What are some of the learnings from your acting mm -hmm. that you apply to the wine industry? Uh, well, I uh, have the great good fortune to be asked to uh, participate in panels and seminars and things like that. So presenting is, is okay, a really important go. piece of what I do. And we present the wines every time we do a wine dinner, every time we go into market and talk to a distributor or a wine shop or whoever, uh, 
every time we're talking with a sommelier, there's a, a level of presentation that's super important. Mm-hmm. Being able to actually read your audience, being able to work with what they want and need is a very valuable skill, I think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree. Before we get to where we are today, we, we got to talk about the fact that you founded a company mm-hmm. a few years ago. It was an international marketing company in Paris. <laughs> you are like, like you're such a fascinating woman. <laughs> well, thank you. You're an actor, you entrepreneur, you live in Paris, you live in London. So what was the inspiration behind the company that you founded, Terravina? You know, honestly, it was um, necessity being the mother of invention, really. So I had, uh, as I said before, I'd come out of the acting world. Uh, I landed a job at Moet Hennessy. So I was working in Champagne and Cognac at LVMH and in London, and then they promoted me, moved me to Paris, and then I realized that I really, really loved this. So I went back and got my MBA at a place called INSEAD over in France, and when I came out, it was just really funny. Now, you have to remember, this is a very, very long time ago, so this is 2003, 2004, and at the time in France marketing was seen as something that was really reserved for fast-moving consumer goods and not something you would ever do for a luxury product like wine. And so it was sort of a dirty word to an extent, rather than just kind of being seen as a tool for sales and a way to communicate with people. And that was sort of where I was coming from. With that in mind, I went around looking for a job after I finished my MBA and everyone said, well, you have too much expertise. You have, you know, you're too high level for what we need. Or, and in France also often, particularly at that time, I think it is probably a little better now, but at the time it was very, well, you have to check all of these boxes in order to do this job. And I hadn't checked some of those boxes. Now I checked other ones that were actually probably more useful for the actual role, but it wasn't something that people could see the value in and I really could. So I said, well, you know what, why don't I just do it myself and then they can hire me and then we'll see. And, um, within six months I had my first clients and within the first year it was profitable. And I went on to work with wineries and, um, generic bodies and, and all kinds of things all over Europe. And actually in the U S I, I worked with the Napa Valley Vintners, which was my first contact professionally with them, uh, which is pretty funny because I'm now actually on the board. <laughs> so it's full circle. Yeah. Which warrants the question, what lured you back to California? Yeah. I mean, it was sort of a, a perfect storm in the best sort of way. Uh, so I had become a partner at my family's uh, project, Achendo Sellers. I was working on a new project of my own, which is Tuanwa. And my kids were really at a great age. So they were sort of old enough to know, they'd been born in France. They were old enough to have gone to school in France and, and really uh, be perfectly bilingual and, and remember and understand the culture there. But they also were young enough that they weren't going to hate me for the rest of their lives for moving them away from (laughs) their friends. So it just seemed like a really, um, auspicious time to come. A partner for your 
parents' brand, mm-hmm. and then you started your own brand. Mm-hmm. So what's behind the name? <laughs> Tuanwa. I know. Uh, I don't even want to try to say it again. <laughs> well, I always say it's, it's um, if you didn't take high school French, which a lot of people did not. Right. You know, the sound you make when you're um, writing the sound of a kiss. Mwah. Yes. Yeah. So just think T and W. So Tuanwa. Tua. It's like two <laughs> Exactly. Just going to say um, it a whole bunch. And so the, the inspiration behind it, honestly, um, the name is the most difficult thing to find in any project. And uh, back when I founded Tuanwa in blah, 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 2015, 14, 15, um, with Maybe 13 16. vintage, <laughs> I was sort of thinking of something that would be a reference to the next generation of our family. Uh, my brother has one child, I have two, and we called them peanuts when they were little, so um, three nuts seemed to be a, a cute little name. And then as the project grew and I became more focused on things like running business as a force for good in the community and things like that, becoming a B Corporation and all those good things, uh, it was a really wonderful kind of shorthand for our three pillars, if you will, at Tuanwa, which are community, possibility, and opportunity. I love it. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Well, tell us about the brand. How many different uh, varietals do you make? Oh my gosh. Uh, So we actually, um, having started out with very humble beginnings of 300 cases of Cabernet uh, with the 2013 vintage, uh, we now are in the midst of harvesting our 10th vintage and we now make nine different wines. Wow. Which is wild. So, yeah. So, we have a tiny bit of rose uh, of Pinot Noir. We do two vineyard designate Sauvignon Blancs. Uh, we do a vineyard designate Chardonnay from Oak Knoll. We do a red blend called Noisette Cuvée. Uh, we do a Merlot, a Cabernet Franc, and two vineyard designate Cabernet Sauvignon. And what is the total case production now? Roughly 3,000 cases, although uh, the 2023 vintage is going to bump us up quite considerably, I think, because it is incredibly generous what's been coming in so far, which is great. We are not complaining. It's been a rough couple of years, so it is very nice to have a beautiful, generous harvest this year. And if someone wants to taste the wine, Mm -hmm. what's the best way for them to do that? There are all kinds of wonderful ways to get access to our wines. Um, Obviously, uh, we sell all of our wines on our website directly. Uh, We don't have an allocation process or anything like that. We sell them until they're gone. Uh, We do have a club, however, which gives access to new releases, things like our brand new Cabernet Franc, which is coming out this year, which is so exciting. And then uh, we host tastings at Wheeler Farms, which is my family's property just south of St. Helena on Zenfidel Lane. And we also do tastings at a shared tasting room in Napa called Feast It Forward, which is right next to the Oxbow. Yes. Okay. And what do you think the hidden gem is in your portfolio? The wine that Mm. might get overlooked but shouldn't. You know, I think, honestly, Merlot is having a moment. And I think our Merlot is, I always say it's not your grandmother's Merlot, um, which is unkind because my grandmother actually didn't like Merlot. Um, (laughs) But no, we make all of our wines uh, in a very fresh, um, bright, elegant style. So our Merlot is no exception. It's very floral. It's very pretty. It's delicious. And there's none of that sort of oaky, syrupy sort of heaviness that Mm -hmm. other uh, previous iterations, I think, of, of Napa Merlot may have 
had had in the past. <laughs> Very food friendly. Very food friendly. Over the course of your career, mm-hmm. is there someone that stands out that inspired you or mentored you along the way that you can speak to? Absolutely. Um, I would say there's been no one who's had more impact and influence on me in wine um, and probably personally than Francoise Pichon. She's just such a rock star. She's an absolutely incredible winemaker. She's a fabulous human being. She's possibly the most generous person I've ever met in my life. She's a wicked baker. Um, and she's just always been super generous and super kind with advice and assistance and, and thoughtfulness. And yeah, I adore her. How long have you <laughs> known her? I have known Francoise since she started making wine for my family in 1993. Wow. Yeah. Long time. Top moment of your career? You know, I'd say every harvest is a top moment. It's so exciting. It's like I was saying to somebody recently, it's like being at a birth. Everything is possible. Everything is magical. Everyone's a little tired, and but very excited. Um, so, yeah, I would say every, every harvest is that magic moment. How do you define success? Mm. And have you achieved it yet? That is a great question. I would say that for me personally, I think that you are successful if you've managed to make the world a little better place than it was when you started. Mm-hmm. And it's a work in progress. I think I'm doing okay, but I think there's always more to do. Yeah. Are you ever satisfied? <laughs> I think it's important to be satisfied. I think it's important to actually appreciate the wins and celebrate them and at the same time not rest on your laurels learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com well let's shift on to your personal life why not you ready i'm ready what town do you live in i live in saint helena how did you choose saint helena You know, it was honestly partly convenience, obviously, because uh, the winery is right here and my family is here. And then it was also uh, the schools. So my son is a junior at St. Helena High. You have two kids. I do. My daughter's actually at boarding school down in in Southern California. How did she get to go to boarding school and your son didn't? Uh, he had the offer and he didn't, didn't want to do it. <laughs> didn't want to do it. Wasn't quite ready. And um, she absolutely was. So she is thriving. She's a sophomore down at Thatcher and really loving it. And Aiden is here with me uh, as a junior at St. Helena High, which is pretty fun. Okay. Well, St. Helena's really has that small town mm, Definitely. Feel. Yeah. And so it's perfect for raising a family. Mm -hmm. Great. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? (laughs) Um, I would say my decorating style is cozy with a hint of wine cellar. (laughs) Okay. What's the predominant color? Predominant colors are blues and grays. Favorite room in your house? My favorite room in my house is 
definitely my living room. It's the biggest room in the house. It's the room where everybody congregates. It's open to the kitchen and it's where I throw all my parties. <laughs> Which warrants the question. Yes. How do you make sure you have a successful party? I would say I'm lucky enough to have amazing, awesome friends and colleagues who are always up for a party, which is great. And they're the best part of it. After that, just make sure you have enough wine glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a go-to dish that's always a crowd pleaser? No, I actually, um, and this was, I, I was told that this is a weird thing recently, but uh -oh. it just never occurred to me. I actually love making brand new things I've never made before for dinner parties and parties. Oh, wow. That's risky. <laughs> said that to me, but I was like, no, it's so exciting and fun. And I mean, how bad can it go really? Well, so. that's true. If you got wine, it doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> worst comes to worst. We go down to sunshine and get some cheese and that's crackers. True. It's fine. What kind of music do you enjoy? A very eclectic selection. Everything from folk to classical to heavy metal to everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Last concert you saw? The last concert I saw or live was music? actually Squeeze and Psychedelic Furs in New York, which I saw last week. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. And they're still alive, which is kind of wonderful and amazing. <laughs> it was a great show. Okay. Do you have a hobby? Do you collect something? Do I have a hobby? Ugh. Sadly, I, have, I do have that defect that many people in this industry have, that wine is not only my job, but also my hobby. Mm. Uh, and I would say, apart from that, I love to scuba dive. So I'm always oh. trying to find ways to get under the water at some point. What are some of your favorite spots to <sighs> scuba dive? Oh, gosh. Honestly, a bad day diving beats a good day on land, so <laughs> I'm happy to go anywhere. But uh, my last big trip was actually to Indonesia, which Ooh. was beautiful. Really, really lovely. How fantastic. Yeah. Gosh, you know, every time you just ask her a question, something new and wonderful <laughs> is discovered. <laughs> which warrants the question... Mm -hmm. Clearly, you have done quite a bit of traveling. Yes. Is there a meaningful or memorable trip you can tell us about? Mm. I love travel so much. I actually even love airports. I mean, I, I really do. Um, but I would say okay, the wait. most... <laughs> What's your favorite airport? Oh, great question. Um, if I'm going to spend some time, Changi in uh, Singapore is definitely, hands down, the best airport in the world. Um, this being said, I have never been to Dubai, so okay. fair play. There's, um, <laughs> and then there's just all kinds of really wonderful, like little hidden gems, like the duty free in Paris or the sushi restaurant in Dusseldorf. Or... Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's get back to the original question. Yes. Meaningful and memorable, yes, vacation or trip. I would say the most um, meaningful trip I probably ever took was when I was uh, 15 years old in high school, I signed up for a program called AFS, American Field Service, which sends American high school students around the world to live in families uh, and brings students from all over the world to live in families in the U.S. And I uh, didn't have any specific request of a place to go. So I just said, wherever in the world. And they actually sent me to Turkey. Which, I mean, bear in mind, this is the mid-80s. I mean, it was, it was a very, very 
felt very strange. It was so different from everything I'd ever known. Uh, and it was really hard. It was a hard two months. Despite the fact that the people in question were absolutely lovely and did everything possible to make me feel comfortable, but I really had the first culture shock of my life and, and was incredibly... I was pushed really far out of my comfort zone. But coming back from it, I realized that I'd been pushed so far out of that zone that when I came back, I actually had a totally different vision of life and culture at home. And it would never be the same. And I, I credit that trip with giving me not only the courage, but the desire to actually go and live abroad and move to different places and, and have all those adventures. So yeah, that Turkey trip was very special. Don't they have a different view on women there? Honestly, at the time, uh, it was really exciting and interesting because, yes, there was, uh, you know, I had to um, put a cover my hair if I was going into a mosque or whatever, but they were incredibly focused on being um, a lay country, a lay community, not religious. And uh, Ataturk, who was sort of the father of modern Turkey, was very specific about the fact that religion was, you know, important personally, but as far as the country went, Turkey was, you know, needed to be a democratic nation. Mm. And so people were actually very focused on that and very devoted to that. And it was in a lot of ways, actually, a much more fair and open society for women than it, certain ways in which the United States was going at the same time. So mm. it was very interesting. Yeah. As if you haven't told us enough, is there something <laughs> people might be surprised to learn about you? Uh, do you skydive, rappel down mountains? <laughs> Did you do something wild and crazy as a child? No. Tell me a secret. A secret. Gosh. That's not something that's not readily known. I would say that for all the risks that I've taken in my life, um, and I do love a good roller coaster, but I'm I'm not a crazy bungee jumping kind of risk taker. I don't I'm I'm not keen. And I absolutely hate horror movies. I do not. It's scary things. No, absolutely not. I'm not doing the haunted house and I'm not watching a scary movie. Okay. This doesn't surprise me. <laughs> you didn't do that. I want to know something that you did. <laughs> something that you did that would surprise us or have done, I guess I should say. Ooh, I was recruited by the CIA. Really? Yeah. It was actually pretty par for the course at the time. So when I, uh, was it? college uh, I did languages and linguistics and my two languages were French and Russian um, and this was right around the time of, of glasnost and perestroika and all of that so basically if you had Russian you got approached offered yeah mm -hmm. and I, I declined respectfully coming back to Napa Valley yes when you have guests that come to town mm -hmm. other than tasting your wines what are some of the places that you suggest that they must visit or do. Ooh, um, and, well, it do and it doesn't have 
to be wineries. Right. It could be restaurants or activities. Just what, what are some of the handful of things that you encourage them to do? Yeah. Um, I actually started a Pinterest page for all because people ask all the time. And so I can kind of keep it up to date. There we go. (laughs) Well, and obviously we have lots of really wonderful friends who run hotels and restaurants and spas and all these fabulous other things you can do besides wineries. Um, and lots of friends who run great wineries. So there's never a shortage of wonderful things to do here. I would also say that there's never a bad season because every season has its own charms. If you're coming to see us here at Wheeler Farms, uh, lunch in St. Helena is always a wonderful thing. Uh, The faves for our family are definitely Charter Oak, uh, Farmstead Cook, and Brasswood. We're very excited about a new restaurant opening very soon Mm -hmm. called Charlie's. We cannot wait. And then if you go a little further down the valley, I mean, everybody loves Don Giovanni, right? Bistro Don Giovanni is just the best. So that's a wonderful place as well. Down in Napa, we love Compline, Torque. Ugh, just so many wonderful places. Just grabbing a, a glass and some oysters at the Oxbow mm-hmm. is also pretty Fun. wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. It's bustling down there in Napa. It is indeed. And if you want to go see some other wineries, I mean, Corazon, Spotswood, uh, there are so many fabulous wineries up and around and the length of the valley. Um, you can't you can't really go wrong, honestly. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I agree, for sure. Well, we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. Oh, gosh. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? I drive a Tesla Model Y, and in my dreams, I drive a Rivian truck because they're so beautiful. Steve Mathiasen just got a new one. It's just amazing. What is your favorite flower? I can never choose one. So I'd say for exuberance, I'd go with a dahlia or hydrangea. For smells, I'd go with jasmine or gardenia. And for just the joy of them, I love a California poppy. Who would be your dream dinner guest? Okay, well, first of all, anybody who knows me knows that it would be a dinner party. (laughs) There would never be one person. (laughs) I know that's cheating as well. I know. You're just... I know. I am. I'm I'm, I'm breaking all the rules. All the rules. All the rules. You know, it's so tricky. I would love to meet my great aunt Selena because she was this amazing woman who was like the head buyer at the city of Paris in San Francisco, which was the big department store of the twenties and thirties. Uh, she would be super fascinating. I would love to meet Eleanor Roosevelt. I think that would be super interesting or Elizabeth first. Also cool. What's your favorite city? The city that you can go back to again and again and again and never gets old. Hands down London. Okay. Easy. And last question. What's one word? Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm. One word. Yes. That best describes you. (laughs) Um, Optimistic. 
Jamie. It has been fantastic to spend some time with you. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Michelle. Visit WineCountryWomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.